This morning I get to join you in continuing your series on the Sermon of the Mount from Matthew's Gospel. You just heard it read by Steve. You guys have spent the last couple months or so examining the Beatitudes, salt and light, law and righteousness, but really getting after this question, what does it look like to be a disciple of Christ in the world? Last week's passage ended with this statement from Matthew chapter 5. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The audience is likely shaking their heads in disbelief at this point. (laughs) Well, then how am I supposed to be able to get into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus? To that, C.S. Lewis would say this. The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. Jesus is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. Jesus is not going to lose us in the abstract this morning. He's going to jump right in to the deep end of human existence. Raging anger... Contempt, hatred, obsessive lust, divorce, verbal manipulation, revenge, slapping, suing, cursing, coercing, begging. This is the kind of stuff that would make a pretty awesome Netflix show, right? But unfortunately, it's also real life. We're going to see older teaching about what the good person would do, for example, not murder, contrasted with Jesus' picture of the kingdom heart, being his disciple. So as we begin this morning, I want to I start by asking you a few questions. When was the last time you felt angry, frustrated, irritated? Maybe you were annoyed by a person close to you, a spouse, a child, Or maybe it was a person that wronged you, offended you in some way. Maybe it was a situation that was pressure-filled and something in you just snapped. I can tell you about one of these times for me. It was a while back. I was in a small group with some guys. We were meeting up at the church office once a month at 5.30, and I'd been working my, my day job for a long time that morning. I worked in the hospital. And as the surgery is dragging on, I'm realizing, like, man, I'm gonna have a hard time getting to this meeting tonight on time. So... I call my boss, see if he can throw me a bone, come in, fill for me, so I can get out of there in time. He comes, he does it. I hustle over, grab a bite to eat. I'm like, okay, I got to get there. I got to cram some food. I haven't eaten since six this morning. And about two minutes before I get there, the guy leading the small group sends a text and says, hey, guys, seems like some of you forgot about tonight, so I think, I think we're just going to go ahead and call it, and we'll see you next month. Uh, what? <laughs> Something in me just flipped. I've been up since 5.30, huffing it all day, trying to get to this meeting on time, and you're just going to cancel it on a whim? No, I don't think so. Call him up, say, hey, are you you in the office? Cool, I'm coming up, i got to talk to you for a second. And I went upstairs and I laid into him. I was mad. You kidding me? Do you know what I've been through to get here today? There's some of you here this morning that know what this is like feeling angry. 
There may be some of you who have been carrying around anger and frustration and bitterness around for weeks, months, maybe even years. Maybe there's hardly been a time in your life when you cannot remember not being annoyed or resentful of a person or a situation or just the world in general. Others of you maybe feel like anger, frustration, these aren't really words that describe you. In general, you're a nice person, peaceful. But the danger for us this morning, no matter where you find yourself, is to read this passage and have a very narrow view of anger. To think, oh, as long as I don't have that kind of anger, then I'm fine. But don't you see that Jesus is after something more than just a peaceful exterior? He's after our hearts. And the very heart that leads to murder is the same heart that is filled with anger and frustration. Just as the original audience was prone to think, well, as long as I'm not murdering anybody, we mustn't think, well, as long as I don't have that kind of anger, or, well, you know, my frustration, it's not really that bad. God will not leave us to our anger because anger is a threat to his kingdom. Anger alienates us. That's the big idea this morning, that anger alienates us. It alienates us from each other and from God. We're going to see this morning that anger alienates us because it's pervasive, it's a problem, and it's perilous. So let's dive in. First, anger is pervasive. Look again at the verses 21 and 22. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So here we see the first of six contrasts that Jesus is going to make between the old understanding of the law and the new kingdom heart on display. He starts with a statement, you've heard it said, hey, you know what the law is, we're all familiar with this, right? You shall not murder. This was the sixth commandment that God gave to his people in the wilderness during the exodus. The problem was not the law. The problem was the teaching of it was getting distilled down to its simplest and barest form. Don't murder and you're good. But though the law says do not murder, God was calling his people to much more than just not killing each other. When God gave the law, he gave a picture of himself, of his character. Says, here's who I am. Walk in my ways. Be the kinds of people that do not murder. Not just do not murder. You see the difference? By keeping it simple, external, the scribes and Pharisees could just point to the reality 
that they're not murdering and say, see, I'm good, right? But God has always wanted more than just external obedience. He wants obedience from the heart. He wants different kinds of people. Kingdom people. Verse 22, Jesus says, I say to you, anyone who is angry, anyone trading insults, anyone condemning others as fools is being the type of person that commits murder. The roots of it are in your heart. And God wants your heart, not just your actions. So let's think about what Jesus is saying here because these are some really strong words. I don't know if you've, you've heard them yet this morning. Let's think about anger a little bit more in depth and all its shapes and sizes because, again, we don't want to have just a narrow view of anger in mind. So let's start with the obvious. Let's start with what we'll call hot anger. This is the external, the obvious, the wear it on your sleeve type stuff. One example, maybe you're driving down Highway 75, cruising along, and someone sharply cuts into your lane, forcing you to slam on your brakes because they're going 10 miles slower an hour than you were. How do you respond? Oh, that was really nice of that person to force me to slam on my brakes. I doubt it. If you're anything like me, especially if you're alone in the car, you might get a small bout of rage. Blood might boil a little bit. You might throw a word or two out there. Let them know how you feel. Here's another example. Maybe some of you can relate if you have little kids. My son was a little over a year old. Mom was away. I was on my own trying to run solo, get him bathed, get him dressed, get him clothed, get him put to bed. And I was a little stressed because I'm not used to doing this on my own. And I get him on the changing table and I'm trying to put a diaper on and he's just bucking his legs because he's so excited, which is great. But it's really hard to get a diaper and clothes on a kid when he's bucking like that. So I asked him nicely, Thomas, would you please sit still and stop bucking? And then I lean down to get his pajamas out of the drawer and he does it again and almost kicks me in the face. And I'm stressed. I just told him to not do that, and something in me just snapped. And lightning fast, I sort of spanked his leg in punishment. But very quickly, I realized what I had done. That wasn't punishment. That wasn't discipline. I had lost my temper. And I quickly realized that there was something ugly in my heart that caused me to do that. What about this? Have, ever, have any of you ever been betrayed or wronged by someone close to you? A friend? A spouse? Or maybe you've even seen this hot external anger in someone being verbally or even physically abusive. As Jesus reminds us in the law, murder is the most outright sign of hot anger. Those are some of the obvious examples, but what about some more subtle kinds of anger? Things we'll call cold anger. These would be more internal, things that are bottled, kept in, things like resentment, frustration, or maybe a low-level irritation. Man, that guy in the IT department, he just gets under my skin, you know? I don't know what it is about him, but he just drives me nuts. You never say anything directly to him, of course, though, because what good would that do? Just deal with it, keep it to yourself. 
Or have you ever caught yourself being critical of someone for the way they acted in a social situation or how they dressed or the way they treated someone? I can give you a quick example of this cold anger from my life. There was this guy, really good friend of mine, had been in my small group for a few years, and we hadn't hung out in a while. We were uh, catching up, and he kind of dropped on me that he'd been dating someone. Met him a couple months ago, and things were getting pretty serious. I was like, oh, okay, first time hearing of it. So I started kind of asking some questions, and the more I kind of asked, the more he kind of drew away, got defensive, got more guarded. What I had intended as a loving brotherly care and concern for him Me trying to help him maybe even over the long haul see some red flags, maybe some unhealth a little bit. It was going in one ear and out the other. And this was just eating at me. Doesn't he trust me? Doesn't he know I have his best in mind? Why won't he listen to me? Why won't he receive my golden wisdom? Of course, I didn't disclose to him how this was affecting me. And slowly my heart got more and more bitter and hardened towards him. To the point when even when he just popped into my mind, I would start to think really horrible thoughts about him. Eventually, I sought his forgiveness. But long after, I had been bottling this resentment toward him. (coughs) So there's hot anger. There's cold anger. There's also something that Jesus calls... In verse 22, insults, you fools, something we'll call contempt. I know that word might bring to mind a courtroom scene and a judge holding somebody in contempt of court, but let me read the definition of contempt for you so you can have just a broader sense of the word. The Oxford Dictionary defines contempt as the feeling that a person or thing is worthless or beneath consideration. In other words, disdain. Let me tell you, we live in an age of contempt for others. Social media has magnified this effect exponentially. Take three minutes to scroll through your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed and try to find one thing in that span that does not have some sort of contempt or disdain laced into it. Liberals condemning conservatives... Conservatives disdaining liberals. Name any rant from any type of tribe or group you're associated with, and odds are you could label it content. I can't believe there's parents out there that vaccinate their kids. You don't believe in the Second Amendment? What kind of American are you? Those Christians, they're a bunch of bigots. I can't believe that they are tolerated in 2017. The list could go on, right? Anger, contempt, it's pervasive, and it alienates us. Hot anger, it creates environments that are fear-driven. People don't feel safe. You have to walk on eggshells around those with short fuses. Cold anger or contempt causes us to avoid people that we're irritated by. We'd rather keep up appearances that everything is good. There's nothing wrong, even though below the surface I'm gripped by resentment and bitterness, unable to move toward that person in love. You see, anger, it's not just pervasive. It's also a problem. That's our second point. Anger is a problem. Jesus uses 
an illustration here, starting in verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus paints us this picture to help us understand the seriousness of the problem. Part of worshiping in the Old Testament days involved bringing these gifts, these offerings, sacrifices, to try and please God and be cleansed of sin. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he really unpacks discipleship in light of the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to lean on him a little bit because he says it better than I do. So might as well have him say it rather than me, okay? So he describes this scene and what Jesus is getting at. First, you are with the temple officials before the altar, about to present your sacrifice to God. It is one of the holiest moments in the ritual life of the faithful. The practice was that nothing should interrupt this ritual except some more important ceremonial matter that required immediate attention. Suddenly, right in the middle of it all, you remember a brother who is mad at you. Realizing how important it is for his soul to find release and pained by the break between yourself and him, you stop the ritual. You walk out to find him and reconcile. That illustrates the positive goodness of the kingdom heart. Willard goes on to say that to really get the full effect, you almost have to imagine that you're standing at your own wedding. You're on the altar. Or you're about to be baptized. Or you're about to be ordained in some kind of religious holy ceremony. And then you suddenly just stop the proceedings and walk outside to try and reconcile with somebody who's not even there. That pictures the kingdom love that is kingdom rightness. Unreconciled anger cannot stand because it makes our worship and communion with God hindered, muddied, and it does us no good. More than that, Jesus wants us to see that the very roots in the heart that lead people to murder are the very roots in the heart that lead to anger and contempt, and both are problematic because they are both an attack on the image of God. You see, Genesis reminds us that we are created in God's image. We bear his image in the world. So murder was outlawed by God because it destroys image bearers. It destroys his image in the world. In the same way, anger and contempt, they have a dehumanizing effect. Dallas Willard says it this way, in anger, I want to hurt you. But in contempt, I could care less whether you're hurt or not. You're not even worth considering. You become this object to be disdained. Do you see how destructive that is? Jesus instead paints here a picture of the kingdom heart. And rather than ritual being primary and just going through the motions, you should seek out your brother in love, to reconcile and remove barriers between you and him, to restore you to him and him to God. Now, I realize we don't have a temple, 
okay? We don't bring gifts or sacrifices, but we come here. We sing songs to worship God. We give give tithes. We take communion. We seek to live our lives as a living sacrifice, as Romans says, holy and completely submitted to God. But Jesus is saying, first, before you do any of these things, be reconciled to your brother. Anger, frustration, contempt has you alienated and it keeps you alienated from them and from God. And it's a problem. Jesus is calling you and me to not minimize anger, to not keep up appearances, to not bottle, but to seek out in love and make peace the resolution. That is the kingdom heart. You need to see this morning that anger, frustration, insults, contempt cannot just be brushed aside. Those things are opposed to the kingdom of God. So, a child, your spouse, a friend, a person in your community group, a pastor, a neighbor, a stranger, that you wounded because of anger or frustration or that perhaps wounded you? The call from Christ this morning is to seek them out in love and restore fellowship with them before coming to God in worship. Dallas Willard frames it out, this kingdom heart out a little further. Does your heart long for reconciliation? Have you done what you can? Honestly, do you refuse substitute ritual behaviors for genuine acts of love? Do you mourn for the harm that your brother's anger is doing to his own soul, to us, and to others around you? If so, you are beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees and immersed in God's ways. The anger that alienates us is pervasive, it's a problem, but it's also perilous. Look back at the text with me. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus gives another illustration here to help us understand the gravity of this situation. Imagine you're walking to a courthouse to settle a lawsuit. You're walking shoulder to shoulder with your accuser. You know they have a case against you. You know you're going to lose. As you get closer to the courthouse, you start to sweat. You know that if you complete this journey all the way to the courtroom bench and stand before the judge, that the gavel will drop and you will be liable to repay your accuser in full for however you have wronged them. The judge will declare you guilty, you'll be handed from judge to guard to prison, and you'll be liable to pay the penalty in full for what you've done. Justice will be served. The guilty party will be punished. The wrong will be restored and repaid. 
all in the world is right. Except the guilty party in this illustration is you. Jesus is saying here, hey, you're not to the courthouse yet. There's still a chance. Come to terms with your accuser. Humble yourself. Seek their mercy to be restored to fellowship and good standing. Because if you don't, the chance will pass. And rather than the accuser's mercy, you'll receive judgment in full. Jesus wants us to see this morning that not being reconciled to our brother will have disastrous consequences. That even in an imperfect world where there is no pure justice, that justice is still served. Unreconciled anger and contempt is perilous. But listen, how much more perilous then for us if we stay unreconciled to God? Anger alienates us from each other, but even more so from God himself. And in his courtroom, we will all stand before God the judge and will answer for the wrongs we've done and the rights we've left undone. Paul in the book of Romans helps paint the picture of this peril in chapter 2. Listen. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God shows no partiality. We will all stand before the judgment seat. We will all answer for words, actions, thoughts, hearts that have sinned against God. And Jesus, as he spoke these words on murder and anger in his Sermon on the Mount, he knew to whom he was speaking. There was his disciples, yes. There was crowds. But there was also the religious leaders. And the same anger and resentment in our hearts today is the same anger and resentment that drove them to arrest Jesus, to drag him to the courts, hand him over to Roman authorities, and to shout, crucify him, crucify him. It's the same contempt and disdain in our hearts that led people to spit on Jesus, to mock him, to place a crown of thorn on his head, If you're king of the Jews, save yourself, they said to him. The one truly innocent man driven to a cross, taking contempt and anger upon himself, being lifted up for all to see. Do you see him? Suffering and bloodied? For what? For whom? For you. For me. It's our sinful anger and contempt 
that hold him there. Yet it's God's righteous anger and wrath that is poured out on Jesus meant for us the punishment we were meant to receive until the last penny was paid. Do you see the beauty in this moment of madness where sinful anger and righteous anger meet in the cross of Jesus Christ? As you journey to the courtroom of God in peril of facing the final judgment for your sin against him, the very one walking shoulder to shoulder with you, the one who has a case against you, the one you need to reconcile with but can't or won't or don't know how, he's the very one that before the gavel is dropped and you are condemned to a fiery prison, says to the righteous judge, I will stand in this man's place. The innocent plaintiff takes the place of the guilty defendant. What wondrous love is this? All that God's righteousness demands of us, he provides to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And while he's pinned to that cross, breathing his last, he says, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. The innocent one pleading to God, the righteous judge, for the guilty ones to be pardoned, and by his suffering and death, we are reconciled to God, the Father. If you believe that, if by faith you trust that his death was for you, then rejoice because in Christ, God has declared you not guilty. Any sin of anger or contempt in you is forgiven and your punishment is handed down to Christ. And you can be left dumbfounded at the judgment seat of God with innocent blood on your hands, with nothing left to do but lift those hands to the praise of his glorious name. So now what? How can you change? How can you become a different kind of person? First, you have to ask yourself if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because if that doesn't describe you yet, then it's going to be hard to live a kingdom life. It will be hard to have real, lasting, eternal change. First, you have to reckon with whether your faith is in Jesus or something else. God is inviting you to trust him this morning. He's inviting you to believe that Jesus' life and death and resurrection is for you. And not only does God give you the sacrifice you need to take away all your sins once and for all, he also gives you his Holy Spirit to take up residence in you, to make you a different kind of person. This is how you change. From the inside out, with the Spirit changing your heart, you don't have to be angry anymore. You don't have to be contemptuous or condemning or insulting anymore. By the power of God's spirit in you, you are a new creation, Christian. Being remade in the image of Jesus himself. 
living in the world as salt and light, always mindful of the cross that will humble you and be empowered to overcome anger and contempt in your own heart and in the world. So if you are holding grudges against friends that have wronged you, bearing resentment against your spouse, storing anger against abusers that have wronged you, bottling irritation against brothers and sisters in this church that annoy you, lashing out against strangers who cut you off in traffic, insulting your supervisor or coworkers behind their backs, condemning with contempt those people in the world who you think are fools, fill in the blank for whatever else has been surfaced in you this morning. You are invited to let your anger and contempt be extinguished in the cross of Christ. Let him take it from you. See him taking it for you. And be set free. Be free to forgive, not resent. Be free to bless, not curse. To trust that God will not forget about the wrongs done to you, but will right the wrongs in his timing, not yours. To seek out those who have wronged, you have wronged and reconciled because Jesus has and is seeking you out with unceasing love, acting to reconcile you to the Father. The anger that alienates us is pervasive, it's a problem. And it's perilous. But it doesn't have to be. Jesus, in his own words, not only shows us the kingdom heart, but he offers us kingdom hearts through his spirit. And we only need to receive this gift with joy and thankfulness. First City, may we be different kinds of people today. May we be kingdom people, rejoicing in Christ free from the bonds of anger and contempt and putting his light on display in the world so that he gets all the glory.